0: friends fellow evolvers and curious people everywhere welcome to this episode of being with sally wilson i'm sally wilson and it's a huge honor to have with me as my guest today highly awarded australian film director producer screenwriter and author bill bennett welcome bill thank you sally it's so good to see your face on the screen. I'm so just sorry this, the, the listeners can't see your face as well, but it's so good. Well, to I'm, really, I'm really
1: disappointed as well, because I went and got a haircut. Ah.
0: where,
1: where uh, we're just out of lockdown. Um, the amount of hair that fell on the floor was <laughs> disgusting. I said to the hairdresser that she needed a front-end loader to, um, to move all the hair away. So it's such a shame they can't see my nice. Number two comb cut
0: i tell you what, why don't you, why don't you take a photo and send it to me and I can put that on the, uh, on the podcast tile. I'll do that so, right now. <laughs> great, take your photo. So, Bill, you've had and are having the most extraordinary career and we, we could spend this whole interview delving into and hearing about your career and your multitude of international awards and it would be fascinating. But there are some. My, particular- might be to you, but
1: not to, not to me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, there there are particular areas you've been delving into over recent years, which, um, particularly considering what's going on in the world, I know will be of particular interest to you, uh, and importance to listeners. Um, and those two areas are fear and intuition. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a bit about your facing fear project?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Sally, look, basically it came about um, through my making of my film on intuition. Mm. Uh, That film is called PGS, intuition is your personal guidance system. Uh, During the course of making that film, I came to understand that fear is probably the greatest obstacle to someone accessing their intuition. And I started to think about that and started to think, well, what is fear? How does it work? Do we need it? Um, Why why do we have fear? You know, these kind of basic sort of elemental questions which, which I couldn't really answer. In the same way that when I began the intuition film, I really couldn't answer what is intuition. Um, And and the thing that drives me in making these films isn't any kind of altruism or, you know, sort of, you know, thinking of any kind of benefit to humanity or anything like that. It's absolutely pure selfish curiosity. And I I have perhaps this narcissistic view that if I'm curious about something, then other people will be curious about it as well.
0: I think that's a pretty fair view to have.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, and the funny thing is that I started making this film before the pandemic hit. Mm. Um, And, in fact, uh, we had been in production about four months uh, and then the pandemic came down. We were actually shooting in America um, only weeks before the pandemic um, became, you know, COVID became um, apparent there. And came back to Australia, um, couldn't film anymore, couldn't travel anymore. And, and so what happened was by this stage, we had gathered about 50 hours of interview material from 30 people, including people like Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Bruce Lipton, um, Paul Selig, you know some some fear specialists from mm. around the world. Pardon me, but there was nothing that I could do about it. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't complete the film. Um, then I woke up one morning, um, about March April, I think it was. You know, and the world was in a huge amount of fear at that time. This is going back to two thousand twenty mm. uh, when. The pandemic was just starting to really sort of flare up, and we were all terrified because we didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know how severe it would be, what, how it was transmitted. All of these things, and and you know, we saw images from Italy in particular at that point, people dying in their thousands, and then it started to hit America. And I thought, well, here I am in a world of fear, sitting on all of these interviews from fear experts talking about how to, you know, how to manage fear. And I got, um, I got this instruction that I should um, put, put the interviews into service. So whilst I wasn't able to make a film, what I was able to do was I was able to edit down the interviews into a form that I could put up on the internet um, and make them make the interviews available for people in to sort of pick through. Um, but also what I did is I went back to each interviewee and I did a Zoom interview with each of them about the pandemic and how to manage fear during the pandemic. So I ended up, I didn't use all of the interviews. So I held back people like Joe Dispenser and a couple of others, um, kept them back for the film. But I ended up with uh, an online resource of about 26 interviews, 24 hours in total of interview content, um, really examining fear and looking at fear in various ways. And it's, it's up there now, it's called facingfearinterviews.com, so people can um, check it out.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Bill and I was checking it out this morning (laughs) and do you find that those interviews have helped you understand it better or or hearing so many different um, experiences and sort of understandings and approaches to fear um, does it make it clearer for you?
1: It's made it clearer a little bit but I'm really not going to get a full clarity until I get into editing Mm. Um, until I start to whittle those interviews down. Um, what the online Facing Fear interviews resource does is it, it sort of just puts it, lays it all out there, and people can pick and choose uh, through the interviews and, and take from it what services them best. But it doesn't have a point of view. Mm. Um, the process of making a film. Uh, requires me to take a point of view and to and to direct an audience into a way of thinking about fear and i'm sort of part way through that process but i really won't be um i, I really won't have a clear read of it until i get through the until i get through the editing process which is coming up next
0: yeah interesting and i mean they are vastly different Ways of looking at, at fear because you've interviewed spiritual leaders, religious leaders, scientists, people who've been th- lived through well near death experiences, and people who've overcome the effects of uh, just the most horrific trauma. <laughs> um, what are the what are the common threads? Have you found any common threads?
1: One of the things that um... One of the things that I've found, I guess, that is common is um, we need fear. Um, I think one of the big discoveries for me was that we should regard fear as our friend um, because it is a warning system mm. uh, for us in, in some way. But but I also, and this was a revelation to me, it might, it might seem very... Obvious to some people, but it, it wasn't to me. I, I interviewed a, uh, a doctor in Mill Valley in California. Her name is Dr. Uh, Lisa Rankin, Lisa Rankin. And she's written a fantastic book which became a New York Times bestseller called The Fear Cure. And she broke it down very simply. She said, there are two types of fear. There's real fear and there is imagined fear. Mm. And real fear is survival fear, and yeah. it is the fear that is um, built into our DNA, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of us suffer from imagined fear, yes. which is the fear that causes stress, anxiety, and ultimately causes illness, disease, and and so forth. Um, and most imagined fear is illusory, um, and if you can. If you can see it for what it is um then in fact what you can do is you can turn that imagined fear into a force that can in fact benefit you
0: mm. and help
1: you make better better decisions about your life and,
0: and that's what's really that? interesting mm. and how do you do that bill
1: <laughs> well it's not an e- <laughs> it's not an easy <laughs> process but But one of the things that you have to do, and and it's the reason that I've titled the film that I have, uh, Facing Fear, is you've got to face it. Um, You have to acknowledge it, you have to face it. Um, I interviewed um, a wonderful, esteemed psychologist in uh, Cape Cod, um, Harvard professor named uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, Um, and he has come up with a process called the family systems process, I think it is, where he he basically goes through this process of of you finding your fear in your body, in a place in your body, and then he gets you to personalise it Mm. And in personalising it, and, and by that I mean give it a name, dress it up in clothes, give it a function. Um, in personalising it, it takes the potency out of this particular fear and it can, in fact, become your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in the film, he, he, he goes through this process and how it works. And... Um, And that was that was really quite revelatory to me.
0: Yeah, and and that sounds in some ways um, similar to some energy psychology techniques, where you identify where in your body you experience an emotion that isn't serving you,
2: Uh
0: and and you work with it that way in the body. And and also, I love how he brings the imagination into it because the imagination is one of the languages of the subconscious, and that's where often a lot of these fears, uh, well. <laughs> They're all in the subconscious in one way or another, yeah. um, but I, I yes, going back to uh, Lissa Rankin, the fear Lissa
1: L I S S A yeah.
0: So what it's that's such a clear way of looking at it there that there are the fears that we need the survival instincts, yeah. but then there are also the fears that cause our self sabotage, prevent us from thriving, prevent us from um, experiencing life as, as we'd like to, right? Or doing the things that we want to do or um, holding ourselves back when we don't need to. And I can see that you're, you're, you're full of a response, so go for it, Bill. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, look, you're absolutely right. And what I was going to say was this, and that is that um, even though they're imagined fears, they are real to us um and they do serve a function um and if we can take the sting out of them um and see them for what they really are see them as friends trying to warn us or guide us um in some particular way um we can getting back to your question Mm. about how you steer them you know back to being useful um we can start that process. I mean, for instance, um, I'll tell you something, Sally. I I, um, I walked the Camino to Santiago um, many years ago, or well, eight years ago now, in 2013. I've since done four more Caminos, but the first one was really quite transformative for me. And um, and one of the things that that was transformative was it, it shaped my attitude to fear. Uh, so what happens is this, uh, with the Camino, particularly at certain times of the year, there's always a, um, a fight for beds at the end of the night. So what happens is you set up in the morning, you walk 20, 30, sometimes 40 kilometers I did, um, and you get to a little village way, way out in the remote parts of Spain and you hope to find a bed well there might be say 50 beds in that village but there might be 100 pilgrims uh, wanting to spend the night there so what do those extra 50 pilgrims do they 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 walk to the next village um you know they so what happens is there's there's this sort of competitive urge each day for you to secure a bed that night um, and invariably, these places don't take bookings. It's on a first come, you know, first first get sort of basis.
2: Mm.
1: And so you're walking, and your whole day is spent fixating on whether or not you're going to get a bed. You know, so so you're sort of riddled with fear through the whole day. And every person that you see on the track, um, that passes you, you see as being that that person's going to steal my bed. You know um so it's the whole purpose of walking a pilgrimage route and I should explain so I should go back the Camino de Santiago is this pilgrimage route that that goes from the French Pyrenees right the way across to uh Santiago de Compostela a, a place almost on the west coast of Spain and it's an 800 kilometer walk the uh the classic um, um what they call the uh, Camino Frances um so one time I was walking, I was walking across the Mosetta, which is a very, very vast flat, flat plain, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking, this is destroying the whole experience for me, you know, worrying about, about getting a bed. And then something hit me. I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I'll arrive in this village tonight and I won't get a bed. All right, that's that's the very worst. So So then what? It's a sunny day. There's no likelihood of rain. I can. I've got a sleeping bag. I could put the sleeping bag under a tree somewhere, and sleep out in the open. That wouldn't be so bad. Or if it looked like it might rain, I could go to a church or you know a town hall or something like that and sleep on the porch. Um, I had seen some people sleeping in um, ATM booths. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, and then I thought, well, that's not so bad, you know. I, I, okay, so if I, don't get, if I don't get a bed tonight, the worst that can happen is I can sleep under a tree, you know, and that, and that could be really quite inter- interesting. That could be a really interesting experience. And then as I walked, I started to think, well, what about if I take this, this sort of, this notion and then apply it to other parts of my life? You know, to and particularly when I get back to Australia and I, you know, I come back into my normal way of living. What if I apply this, this, this thing of what's the worst that can happen mm-hmm. to other aspects of my life? And suddenly, it um, when I did that and I applied it to various things. And you know, what about if I run out of money? What's the worst that can happen? And then I followed that to its logical conclusion, and then I reached that point and I faced it and I thought, that's not so bad. I can actually handle it. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen if, you know, if I, if I get sick and die? You know, so you apply this to various things and, and you be absolutely rigorous in your process of, of stripping back and stripping back and stripping back and facing each stage. And then you get to the final point where you can't strip back any further and you face your elemental fears and you look at it and you go, right, there's a way that I can deal with that, and that's okay. And once you do that, then you're free. You are free from the burden of fear. And that, to me, was probably the most important thing I got from from walking the Camino, was that thing of what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Face it. You know, go back. Okay, so that's bad. Then what? There's got to be something worse than that. Yep. <laughs> and then what's worse than that? And so forth, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I remember... Early on, when I was studying music, Bill, I remember in a masterclass. I think that I think the person running the masterclass was Charlie Rika. So he used to be a, a coach at the Met. Anyway, he was this wonderful man, and he had us go through that process. He sort of said, "You know, you're standing up there. You've you, you've been nervous. You um you know you're being criticised by everyone who's watching you, <laughs> particularly in a masterclass situation." And uh, and he said, "Well." So so you screw up the words. So what? So you miss a note. So what? He said, so what? <laughs> and I remember that being a light bulb moment. I, I still remember it, gosh, how many years ago now? And, and that was my kind of introduction to the and, so what? So what? <laughs> and then, so what? And you're absolutely right. It takes the sting out of it. When you follow it to its worst-case scenario, <laughs> mm. and you realise that actually you're equal to the challenge and it'll be okay,
1: yeah.
0: um, it does disappear.
1: And not, not only that, but it can also bring forward experiences and opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have had. Yeah. Um, what I found in- interesting in doing the intuition film um was I talked to a lot of people who talked about the most horrible things happening to them because they didn't follow, they believe they didn't follow their intuition, these things happen. But out of that came something else, you know, that that in fact changed the course of their life um, for the better.
0: Yeah, well then that that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because on one hand, those people were recognising that they didn't follow their intuition, even though they knew what it was at the time, in hindsight. <laughs> um, and yet kind of wonderful things have come out of them not following their intuition. So that's a conundrum, isn't it?
1: Well, it is a conundrum and it is insofar as um, sometimes, I mean, people, people talk about being hit by the spiritual two by four um and what that means is that you don't you don't realize you're getting a major life lesson until it's until you've had the lesson and you look back on it and you go okay now i get it Mm. now i understand Mm. and really when it comes down to it that's the purpose of life that's the purpose of us living is for us to make mistakes to do awful horrible things. You know, and then hopefully you learn something from it and, and in the end, you come out of it a slightly better person. Mm. That's what we would all like to hope anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean
1: there are there are, some, um, there are some examples where that doesn't happen. One I could name would be Donald Trump.
0: Okay, <laughs> We're going to stop there, Bill. <laughs> That's it for politics right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: sure.
0: But I would like to challenge the idea that our fears, even if they're imagined, serve a purpose. I I know that see see where I'm coming from, it's it's largely from the point of view of the subconscious mind. Um so we all know now that our environment, our experiences when we're young, they they cause our identity, which then, you know, it's a bunch of random ideas that we're, you know, th- that are presented to us. And obviously, when we're young, we can't reject or accept. We're just, we, we just absorb them like sponges up until, you know, seven or eight years old. Now, some of those things are great and some of them aren't, you know, in terms of the way we see ourselves, the way we see the world, our role in it. Um, now, the sorts of fears that, that hold us back, the sorts of fears that um, keep us stuck. I know that the subconscious sees a purpose because it's trying to protect us this whole time in its naive kind of way. So if we've learnt as a child, for example, it's not, oh, it's not safe for me to stand out. (laughs) It's not safe for me to be really, really good at something. Oh, uh -uh -uh -uh. no, it can't go there. Um, Yes, that fear serves a purpose in that our subconscious thinks it's protecting us. But on the other hand, consciously, we want to be successful. We want to have fun. We, we want to feel free to express ourselves fully. So don't you think it's worth questioning whether it really serves a purpose?
1: Well, of course it is. Um, but the scenario, scenarios that you outline, um, it's interesting Most times it comes back to parenting Um, because we're not not born with those fears. No. We're not born with a fear of low self-esteem.
0: Unless it's epigenetic.
1: or Unless, unless,
0: for example, our mother experienced distressing things when we were in utero. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then we come back to the spiritual notion that we choose our parents. Um, And and it has been a predetermined choice to come into the world that way so that we can then learn the lessons that that is going to require us to learn, which I firmly believe, firmly believe that. Yeah. Um,
0: And so... In that, because what what i what stands out to me here is just that, yes, we have these fears and they are real, <laughs> whether they're instinctive or things that we've picked up from our environment, whatever they are. But in having this conversation, I just want where I'm coming from is that I think it's useful for people to know that um, you can overcome it, and yeah. that's really good. so yeah. Holding on to the fear, if, if you find a way around it, if you've learnt your lesson, holding on to it doesn't necessarily serve you, whether it's coming from a karmic place or a scientific place in terms of your health and your ability to thrive. Um, would you agree with that? What are your comments on that, Bill?
1: Um, in the film, what I'm, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be proposing what I call the five Fs of fear. Find it, feel it, face it. I can think it. of
0: another word, but I won't say it. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. find,
1: find it. it. Find it, yeah. feel it, face it, friend it. And the last one is free it.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Um, so that it doesn't it doesn't rule us. Yeah. We can work with it. Um Dick Schwartz's process is called the Internal Family Systems. Mm-hmm. And anybody listening to this, it's worthwhile Googling it. And he's got some fantastic stuff on YouTube where he explains it and he goes through the process. Um, but as I say, part, part of that is this notion of actually personalising and befriending your fear. And in, the, and in the doing of that, you you free it from its hold on you. Um, now, you can never totally get rid of fear, and you don't want to as well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because it can really serve a useful function for you. But where it becomes destructive is when it, when it overrides, when it overrides you, yeah. Uh, yeah. it overwhelms you. And, you know, we're in a time at the moment where this is happening a lot, um, tragically. Yeah. But, um, but there are tools, you know, that, that, that can, can be used for people to understand fear, and I think that's probably the, the best thing that the first start, the first, the first, you know, look, the other thing too, I've become this really strong advocate for I think probably the most powerful tool in the spiritual toolbox, and that is the capacity to ask. Um, um, I started to understand the importance of asking with the intuition film. And I'll tell you a little story, um, which really sort of got me thinking about this. I've been trying to make that film for a long, long time, and I'd I'd spend years and years researching and seeking investment and so forth, I'd, I'd had no luck. And I got to the point where I was about to give up thinking that I just can't do it. You know, all, all my efforts had been, had been uh, to vain. And I went to bed one night asking, and I said, right, in the morning, I've got to make the decision as to whether or not I proceed with this film or I drop it and move on. And that night I had a very, very powerful and clear dream which told me that I had to make the film. It it told me in no uncertain terms how I had to make it. Um, and I woke up almost like a cliche, you know, sort of <laughs> straight, straight up, eyes wide open with this very, very clear message.
0: Yeah.
1: And I looked across at the bedside clock and it was 4.44 in the morning. And then I had my iPad by my bedside and I... Googled, what does 444 mean? Mm. Um, and a passage from Doreen Virtue came up, the um, lady who does numerology and stuff like that. And um, it told me that 444 meant that I was at that moment surrounded by angels and masters and spirit guides urging me to move forward. And then if I trusted my intuition and my, and my inner guidance, then it would lead me to success. And that was the turning point for me. Mm. Um, I went back to sleep and then when I woke up later that morning, I um, went out and booked tickets to India because that's where I knew I had to start filming. Went out and bought a camera and some sound gear and some lighting gear and and began the film. And that happened because I asked.
0: Yes.
1: Now, the thing with fear is that you've got to ask for help. Um, And a lot of people don't do that. You know, they get themselves painted into a corner for whatever reason, and there are are people and places and institutions and so forth that can help. Yeah. Um, And it's one of the things that I learned from Judith Richards, um, the Richards trauma process lady, the importance of asking,
2: Mm.
1: you know, because... um, because sometimes we're too timid or we're too ashamed to ask. But but um, people love to help, Sally. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, like, oh, that's what I've learned. People just took, love
0: to help. And it took me way too long to learn that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Way too long. And, yeah. you know, when I, I talked to my husband about this sort of thing, he so he used to be a concert pianist. Mm. and he, You know, he comes up with these people who offered to help him when he was young. Mm. And he didn't take them up on it and and whether it's this sense that we're younger that we we feel like we have to do it all on our own which is I mean not only shouldn't we we can't (laughs) we can't do it all on our our own no one can we need other people um yeah that's a lesson I I would have liked to have learned earlier but anyway learned it now (laughs) but um asking both um Yes, people. But um, one thing that I've been learning about recently is the the HeartMath approach. So the HeartMath Institute. Um, and so you've mentioned um, Richard Schwartz's or Schwarz <laughs> Schwartz's approach. Um, mm-hmm. The HeartMath Institute approach is another way that, that that listeners can you know they can go and tap into some of the resources that the HeartMath Institute offers in terms of not only how to free ourselves of fear um, in what, however, that sort of manifests, whether it's imposter syndrome or anxiety or OCD, whatever it is. Um, But through doing that, they also talk, you know, they talk about then having a clear pathway to your intuition, your perhaps some people would think of it as your higher self, your inner guide, however you want to think of it, because there is so much more information being passed from the the heart to the brain through the nervous system than there is from the brain to the heart. So that's another one to look at. And as you mentioned um, for listeners too, as you mentioned TRTP, the richest trauma process, um, being able to switch off that, that survival response when it's not needed. (laughs) yeah and and this leads then to intuition because yes we can ask people other people for help but asking for guidance inside and I know you have a kind of amazing story that that led you to understand or at least to to delve into what intuition is and how it works and everything um in a, in a you know really comprehensive way Bill can you tell us that story do you know the one I'm talking about
1: about the truck yeah yeah well that really that really kicked it off mm-hmm. um I was in New Orleans making a movie um I had to go to the airport early one morning for a casting session out of um LA I was driving to the airport it was before dawn that was dark I was taking back roads um I was running late. I checked out of the hotel a bit late. I was keen to get to the airport fast. I had an intersection coming up. No no traffic on the road at all. Mm. Green light. I went to accelerate to make sure that I got through on the green. And a voice came out of nowhere saying, slow down. So I was very confused by this. And uh, I'd never heard anything like this. And I dismissed it. Um... I went again to accelerate, the voice came in a second time, more emphatically, slow down, and this was just too weird for me. So I put my foot on the brake and I I slowed as I entered the intersection. Mind you, there's absolutely nothing on the road to indicate any any danger or anything like that, nothing. Um, And out of nowhere, this huge truck ran red light on the street on my right-hand side, Um, Barreled through the intersection. I, I then slammed on the brake fully. It narrow, narrowly missed me.
2: Mm.
1: Had I not heard that voice and had I not acted on that voice, then that truck would have um, would have killed me.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I got to the other side of the intersection and I pulled up and I was shaking because it had been a near miss. And but I was confused and I thought what was that voice? Uh, You know, why? I had three questions. What was the voice? Where did it come from? And why did it save my life? Mm. And those three questions really then were what propelled me to make the film. I really wanted to explore. I really wanted to find out what that voice was. And, you know, the amazing thing is, Sally, this, and that is that I... So I ended up making the film and then we did screenings all across... Australia and in, in America and I attended most of the screenings and did Q&As afterwards and, and I'm not joking when I say at every single screening somebody came forward and said, oh, I heard a voice too and this is what happened mm. and the voice saved their life or, or was fu- fundamental in turning that person's life around to something else. Uh, and this happened more times than I can tell you. Um, most times it, it was a voice that saved somebody's life. And so I've come away from the whole thing thinking, well, this is, this is not special to me. You know, what happened to me is not special. It happens a lot. And, and most people who told me their stories were very embarrassed and they said, look, thank you for making the film because now I'm able to speak about this and I haven't mm. been able to speak about it because I've been too embarrassed and thinking, you know, people think I'm an idiot or that I'm making it up or whatever. Um, and, and the word that came through a lot of these people were, you have validated my experience. And I, I, I remember thinking that's really interesting. This word validate, I would mm. use this word. You have validated my experience. And I thought, bloody hell, there's something happening here. You know, like, yeah. the, like this is real. This is happening. Yeah. You know, this, this is not some sort of freakish, you know, one-off thing that's happened to me. This is something that, that has happened. And then you go back through history, you know, and you, you read accounts of people who were about to board the Titanic. And, you know, and then you, you, you hear news stories of people saying oh i was about to get on that plane but i heard a voice saying no don't get on the plane get on the next one then plane crashes you know you hear this all the time and around the world
0: trade center incident a lot yeah
1: yeah exactly there there are a lot of a lot of uh, cases with the world trade center Mm. a lot of documented cases yeah and so so then it comes back to this question okay this voice is real this voice exists it, it happens it's not some sort of you know sort of spooky premonition kind of thing and that's when I came up with this notion that it's a personal guidance system Mm. you know that is something that it it is a legitimate guidance and protective system that we all have and you know so then the question asked well why why do people die (laughs) in accidents um and the answer to that is that is that oftentimes we don't acknowledge uh, the voice. We dismiss it. We ignore it. Or we have built up through our lifetime such a deep protective layer around ourselves, you know, that that, that bats back any notion of anything of a, a spiritual or a woo-woo kind of nature. Yeah. You know, we we uh, it it bounces off us. It deflects off us. I um. Through the making of the film, I came up with the notion that there are four types of intuition. Because um, I, I became very confused that, that intuition seemed to be this kind of overarching word that, that encompassed a lot of things, you know, from, from a gut feeling to a voice to coincidence and synchronicity to, you know, a whole bunch of things. Mm. Um, and I came up with with this notion that there are four types of intuition and each is distinct and different from the other but there is cross flow the first type is survival intuition uh, which comes from the body and that's the intuition that expresses when for instance you're walking down a road late at night and there's an alley coming up on your side and you you feel the hairs prickle on the back of your neck and you you get this sort of tingling sensation that's going I'm going to cross the street right now I'm not mm-hmm. going to walk past that alley. Yep. That's survival intuition. Yep. And it expresses through the body. And then there's what I call cognitive intuition, which is intuition based on expert knowledge, um, expertise. And that, that's the intuition that does express as a gut feeling. You know, a CEO might make a, a, a gut decision for his company, re- reject all the research, re- mm. reject all of the 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 board members and their advice and so forth. He goes, no, I'm going to make the gut decision. Steve Jobs is a great one at this, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's based on his expert knowledge. It's a a process of intuition that quickly accesses what I called um, subsume memory recall.
0: Mm. Malcolm Gladwell talks about that, doesn't he? He does in Blink. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, So that that's what I call cognitive intuition. The third type is what I call mystical intuition which is the voice, mm-hmm. um, which can't be explained. It's inexplicable. Science has tried to tried to prove that mystical intuition exists, but it can't because it works within the energetic spiritual system. Mm. Um, the fourth type of intuition, which I've only recently come to kind of understand, is what I call proxy intuition. And that is intuition that happens through somebody else. In other words, you know, that person who... about to get on the flight they may have that protective layer over them they they might have a niggle going oh i don't think that's you know for some reason i don't think i should get on that flight and then they get a call from you know from somebody saying look i can't explain this but i don't want you to get on that flight or it could be something like hey you've got to come back and you know check that your brother is okay or something like that yeah it's it's intuition that happens that comes through somebody else because the number one function of intuition is to keep us alive Mm. because we can't fulfill our life purpose if we're dead. So it's both a protective uh, system and it's a guidance system as well.
0: So the first step from what I understand from your research and everything, the first step to being able to tap into this um you know pgs um is to free yourself of fear
1: yeah
0: how else do you how, how do you how do you tap into it
1: okay so so in the film what i do is i go through five steps stop listen ask trust follow um now but no! Bless you. I hope that's not a COVID sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> um, stop, listen, ask, trust, follow. So to access your intuition, you first got to stop. Because you're getting pinged. What I call um, DDMs, direct divine messaging. You're getting pinged by DDMs all the time. Um, but because we live such busy lives, we we can't pay attention to them. So at some point, you've got to stop. Now, mm-hmm. that can just be literally switching off, turning off your, your phones, um, finding a place, even just for five minutes to sit quietly with your own thoughts. Um, then you've got to listen. And by listen, I mean I mean not only actually listen to that, that inner guidance that will come to you, but also it can be, it can be things like, You're sitting in a coffee shop and you've got a problem and you're trying to work out the problem. And then some music comes on in the coffee shop and the lyrics of that song are exactly what you need to hear right at that moment. You go, bingo, I got it. And you don't realise, you might put that down to absolute coincidence, you may not even realise that the song has been playing, you know, Mm -hmm. might operate on a subconscious level but that is that's part of your guidance system working for you but listening can also be observing you know you might be in a coffee shop and you might um, a bus might go by and there might be something on the side of the bus an advertisement or something uh, or a name or something like that and you go crikey that's right I, I forgot I've got to ring Bob mm. um, you know because the, the name Bob was on that thing and you ring Bob, and then Bob offers you a job and it changes your life. You know? Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: I mean, there's stuff like that. So stop, listen, ask. We talked about ask.
0: Yeah.
1: Big one then is trust.
0: That's a big one.
1: It's a huge <laughs> one, you know, because we can go through that whole thing. But then, but then for us to trust mm. our intuition is the big hurdle that most of us can't overcome. And the only way that we can begin to trust our intuition is to see it working in small things and then when the bigger things come along you have built up a bank of trust where you go okay i'm going to run with this to give you an example um i i believe in the parking agent. like i have been able to get the best parks in the most unbelievable situations um you know, like 10 30 on a Saturday morning, Christmas Eve, I get a park right outside the department store that I need to get to. Um and it's because I ask, um, but I also but I also trust. You mm. know, so I don't I don't take the park that will mean that I've got to walk 15 minutes to the elevator. Like mm. I go, no, there's gonna be a better park. And I'm gonna find it. Yep. And and every single parking space is is packed. Everything is jammed. Yep. You know, and I've been with people in the car and they say, Bill, you're wasting your time. There's no way in the world you're going to get a park. And I go, just wait. And then I'm driving, I'm, you know, I turn into that lane where all the park all the car parks are right by the front door of the of the department store. And then suddenly these red lights come on and somebody reverses out, and I am the only person who can get that park. Yep. And I say, thank you. And I step in. Yep. Okay. So, so once you see it working in those little ways, then you build up a level of trust so that when a big life decision comes along, like, um, you know, should I make that business decision? Should I commit to this relationship? Um, should I buy that house? Should I move into state to take that job? I mean, these sort of, you know, big decisions. And your rational self says, you should do this. Your intuitive self says you should do this you go with your intuitive self because you've built up that trust yeah. beforehand, you, you understand that your intuitive self is a legitimate form of guidance and you mm. run with it. And Sally, I've got to say just to finish that the times when I've really messed up in my life, the times when I haven't listened to my <laughs> intuitive self yeah. and the times that where things have worked out have been when I've, I've run with, with listening with my intuition. And okay. I only say that now retrospectively mm. because at the time I didn't realise. You know, but when I look back on it now, those things that worked out for me were based on an intuitive response.
0: Yep, yep, and and you know, with that intuitive response, of course, is is the um, the surrendering of the need to control. <laughs> just yeah. just pointing that out because we think yeah. that we're. You know, we might think that we're listening to our intu- intuition, and then we, uh, but then we have a very firm idea of how
1: <laughs> we
0: want it to turn out, <laughs> mm. and that's very rarely the case with intuition, right?
1: Oh yeah, I, I'm part of trusting is surrendering, absolutely Except for the parking yeah.
0: angel. Yeah, yeah,
1: because you do have to let, let go of control, um, yeah. and part of that is understanding the concept of divine timing. Mm. Um, and I've come to, I've come to realize this, that um, your timing. Is different from divine timing. Um, you might want something to happen within a certain time frame, but it may not be in your best good for that to happen. And, and I'll give you a very practical, um, very practical example of that. Again, it comes to, back to making my film on intuition. Mm. Um, I was raising money as I went and sometimes money would come and then sometimes money would stop um, and I would progress the filming you know when there was money and then I would stop when there wasn't yeah. and what I started to realise was that when I when I was making rational decisions about production the money would stop
0: yeah right
1: <laughs> uh, and as soon as I started to make intuitive decisions the money would come and the other thing too uh, that I noticed was this and that is that I was learning as as I went you know I was learning about intuition as I went Mm. that's a very very complex subject Mm. Um, and there were times when I didn't have enough knowledge or wisdom to take the next step with a film and when that happened the money dried up And then I would be directed towards a particular book or I would do more research, which would lead me to somebody who gave me information. Mm. And and then I'd go, okay, now I get it. And then the money would come.
0: Yeah.
1: So what was happening was that I was being drip fed um, quite deliberately because, to put it this way, if somebody had written me a cheque, you know, for the full amount of the budget, at the beginning of the film, the film would have ended up a mess.
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) It would have ended up a mess because I did not, at the beginning of the film, understand what I was doing. Mm. And so I had to go through a three-year process. That's how long it took to film. A three-year process of making that film to really kind of get it. Um, And that that was divine timing.
0: Mm. And, again, that's trust, isn't trust, it? yeah. yeah. Trust.
1: Well, but I so made so many mistakes, you know, and, yeah. and the, when I tried to push through because I'm a very determined person and, you know, when I tried to push through, I'd get whacked.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and they'd say, they'd say no, it's not, it's not time. You know, you need, to, you need to go back and do more work before you're ready to take the next step. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you just talk about the last step a bit more, Bill, the follow step?
1: Um, A lot of people go through the four stages. They stop, they listen, they ask and they do trust. But then when it comes down to it, they don't follow through. They don't have the balls. Um, And I see this time and time again. Um, I, I see it time again in so many things. People go, yep, Okay, I understand. I get that, but oh, uh, you know, I've got to, have got to put money aside for my retirement, or yep. Yep. you know, I, I just can't leave my job because you know, I've, I've got superannuation, whatever, you know. And they is, don't have the is, balls to follow through.
0: Well, it comes back to the fear, doesn't it? You got to, you yeah, got to clear exactly. the fear exactly. before you can take that final step. Because if you don't you'll come up with all sorts of justifications and they'll feel real.
1: Exactly. They'll feel like be, real reasons. Exactly, Sally, you're absolutely right. You know, and this is, this is the conclusion that I came to towards mm. the end of making the film, you know, that, um, that fear is the biggest obstacle to, to your true fulfilment and, and fulfilling your, your true potential as a human being. Mm.
0: You
1: know, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Because our potential is limitless. The only thing that's, you know, is that's limiting our our potential is fear.
0: Yeah. Yep. One of my favorite wise guys, um, Swami Muktananda, I don't know. He's he's passed away. I don't know if you came across City um, Yoga in your in your travels, Bill. But in his book, uh, The Mystery of the Mind, he said, you know, the mind overwhelms your discrimination if you're not Mm. aware of how it works
2: Mm.
0: Mm. That you know some of those words are his and some of them are mine (laughs) i'm paraphrasing a little bit but
2: Mm.
0: even just understanding that that your mind has the capacity to overwhelm your discrimination or perhaps we could insert the word your intuition there as well
1: Mm. yeah Mm. yeah your discernment Yeah. Mm. yeah yeah it's um You know, I'll tell you something, there are a lot of people in in working in this field that um, decry the ego, you know, and say the ego is the enemy, Uh, and and it can be. But also what the ego does is it individualises your service to spirit.
0: Huh. I'm going to write that down, Bill.
1: Yeah, you better, because I might forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, it, uh, and, you know, it sort of took me a long time to realise this because I read all this stuff, you know, the ego is bad, you know, you've got to suppress your ego, all this sort of thing. I think that's actually a nonsense because we we each need to be in service in our own particular way. You mm. are in service in your own particular way, you know, based on your life experiences and and so forth. Um and we need our ego to, to personalize, to put to put into practice our unique contribution. That can only come through our use of ego. Um, you know, so yes, the ego can. You know, as you say, overwhelm at times. But 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 use correctly, the the ego allows us to contribute uniquely in our own particular way. And I think that's very important. So I think, um, you know, ego and intuition can work really hand in hand and ego and rational, irrational mind can work. It's not not a dichotomy. Mm. It's symbiosis in in an ideal way, you know, that um, you have an intuitive thought. And you go through those five steps and you run with it and you follow it. But then you need your rational thinking then to put it into form, into manifestation. And you need your ego to do that in your own unique personal way because that's what makes it different. That's what makes it stand out. That's what makes that's what make will make people come to it Mm. because it is yours. Mm. If that makes sense.
0: Mm. I'm gonna think more about that, Bill.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, I, I, I put this in, into practical terms just in terms of my making the film. Mm. You know, I had a very strong intuitive response to, from that dream and from reading what 444 meant to go out and make it. So what happened there was I didn't believe in angels, I didn't believe in numerology, I didn't believe in any of that crap, right? I'd come from a very evidence-based background. Yeah. Um, but I decided that it was just too weird for me to ignore and so that I had to run with it. And, I'll, and by the way, every other way of trying to make this film had not worked. <laughs> so like, I had to try something different because all, all other efforts had failed. So, so then having, having trusted and followed through um, and the rule that I made myself in making the film was that I would make the film intuitively. And like I say, at times I didn't, and things stopped, and so forth. Yeah. Um, but then I used filmmaking craft, and I used my own ego. Um, then to individualise the film, mm. you know. So so, uh, and then it manifested in form in the film that's now out there. But you know, you... So, So that's an example of using rational thinking and using ego to manifest something that can contribute and can be in service.
0: Mm. And as you were implementing your craft and your knowledge and your rational um, mind, were you doing it intuitively?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because... um, um, like I say, you get DDMs all the time. You know, they're, they're coming at you constantly. Um, one, of the, one of the important things in Film was I realised uh, in, in going through all the interviews that I went through, the word pay attention, two words, pay attention, came up time and time again with the people that I interviewed. Pay attention, mm. pay attention, pay attention, mm. because we're getting these messages. Yep. Um, but... Um, yeah it is it is a process of discernment to sort of sift sift through what is useful um what isn't, and that once again comes down to ego you know your your own your own unique level of understanding that you are at that moment mm. Mm. your own unique vibration, if you like, because we all vibrate at different levels
0: yeah yeah Bill, thank you so much.
1: <laughs>
0: what have I done? <laughs> thank you I'm, for I'm just um, well, no, thank you for being so generous in, in sharing your time with me and and with listeners, and for um sharing your knowledge and your understanding and the richness of all the the stuff that you've delved into. Thank you for your curiosity. Thank you for that.
1: Oh, look, that's very sweet of you, Sally. Thank you. But, but look, I've got to say a couple of things. Number one, I'm an ordinary bloke. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm there's... I a don't great any, haircut. A nice haircut. Yeah, it's <laughs> such a shame people can't see it. <laughs> um, but I don't have any particular powers. I, you know, I don't have any mystical powers or psychic powers or anything like that. I'm just an ordinary bloke with a bit of curiosity. And I do have the capacity, you know, through decades of being able to communicate in, in a particular way. Um but and I'm 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 like I'm in grade one. You know, there's so much to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Are we all in grade one?
0: Or prep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But- yeah, maybe I'm being too full of myself maybe I'm not quite a great one yet well I was thinking that. of myself then when I said prep
0: <laughs> I, I'm definitely in prep <laughs> but I'm enjoying prep you know that's that's important as well isn't it
1: <laughs> absolutely. absolutely oh it is fun you know it's fun to learn these things it's fun to let go and as you say surrender but you know the big thing for me was this and that is that you you've got to approach all of these things with an open mind and I think probably when I look back on the whole process that I've been through, making that one decision, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm not going to have any fixed views on this. Um, that probably was the biggest thing for me, mm. um, because then if you do have an open mind, then you allow yourself the opportunity to accept new ideas. Yeah. That will be challenging. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Bill, um, can you just give us um, your websites for the things that you've mentioned for people who want to delve in further mm. um, to um, your interviews or to the film, the, the um, Personal Guidance System film or any of that? Can you just give us a few websites or ways that people can, um, can look into that further?
1: Um, yeah, thanks, Sally. Yeah. Um... The intuition film can be bought on iTunes or Google Play um, or YouTube or um, um, or a couple of other things. But but also people can access uh, the film through the film's website, which is pgsthemovie.com. Okay. pgsthemovie.com. The the Facing Fear interviews... uh, the website is facingfearinterviews.com. Okay. Interviews with an S. Um, and hopefully, this time next year, the facing fear film will be finished. Yep. And yep. like I say, that that will be that will be a film that will be personalized. It, it's going to follow the same template as the movie.
0: Yep. Great. And and PGS, the book, is available on Amazon, yes?
1: It is, yeah. So what the book is, is it's a book of the film, but it also expands on the film. Okay. So it, uh, it brings in a number of concepts that I've kind of um, thought through since making the film.
0: Mm. For
1: instance, those four types of intuition I discussed.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Bill. And, and I know that you always have an, you also have a newsletter because I, I, I was looking at one of your newsletters from 2020
2: oh.
0: and, um, and you know what, it just popped up. Um, I've got them all in my inbox. I've got them all there. And it was um, about uh, how fear clouds our, or prevents our uh, ability to be intuitive. Um, So that just happened to be the one that was a a DDM that I got this morning. Um, Yeah.
1: That's that's from my website, um, my blog, and that's uh, pgstheway.com. Okay. Um, pgstheway.com. So I started that blog uh, just when I was um, doing the Camino as a way of um, communicating back to my family and friends. Right. And it's since uh, taken on quite a big following.
0: Yeah, yeah, I imagine it has. I I think it's wonderful. Well, thanks again, sincerely, Bill. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.
1: Oh, Sally, thank you for the opportunity.
0: And uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in and for being part of this great community and of course we'd love it if you if you interacted with us if you gave us a review or a comment or if you share this episode with other people you think would be interested and of course you can also connect with us on social media that's instagram and facebook at i am sally wilson i'll look forward to meeting with you over the waves next time